1: I want to ask you guys, what are your street names?
2: Street names. Um, I mean, I have like nick- a nickname that my family gave me when I was a kid, but I'm not cool enough for a street name.
3: Jofi.
1: Jofi. So you guys don't, you guys aren't into the idea of something that sounds really intimidating and crazy, then, huh? Jophie's like I think, not I, be, I think I would be intimidating and crazy. Yeah, I think I would be like Pete the Anvil or something like that, you know? (laughs) All right, all right.
2: I mean, you are Pete the Pepper.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily... I mean, I guess a pepper can be pretty menacing at times. Spicy.
4: Pete the Ghost Reaper.
1: Yeah. I think it's funny that they they kind of bring this up in the beginning, you know? He's talking to um, Skinny Pete there, speaking of Pete, and he says... You know you got robbed by a guy named spooge, you know, not diesel or <laughs> or whatever
2: mad dog and then,
1: yeah, mad dog, and then you know he comes back later, and when he introduces himself he 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 introduces himself as diesel so it's it's kind of funny the way that the you know you you present yourself, you know the way you present yourself and the way that you see yourself, and then the obvious contrast here we have with how how Jesse carries himself you know, in this situation with the uh, neglected kid there.
0: Good morning. Good morning. Honey, you blocking the mailbox.
4: Yeah, sorry. Sorry. (laughs)
0: Like it's going to be a nice day, huh?
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. High 70s.
0: You have a great day.
4: Right on, you too.
1: All right. This is Growth Decay Transformation, a Breaking Bad Rewatch podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Courtney. And today we're talking about season two, episode six, Peekaboo. And it seems like every time we have an episode with Gretchen or I guess the Schwartzes and, you know, more generally, one of the bald move guys shows up. And today we're joined by Aaron. So how's it going?
3: It's going pretty good. I saw the uh, the Schwartz symbol in the air, the Schwartz signal go out, and uh, I had to, <laughs> to pick up the red phone and make a call to Pete.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna go through the episode, and if you could help us out, Courtney, can you give us a synopsis of what happened?
2: Yeah, sure. So in this one, uh, Walt finally goes back to work, and while he is out back at school for his first day. Gretchen calls the house uh, to check in. Skylar thanks her for paying for Walt's treatment, and Gretchen, who is obviously confused by this, uh, decides to stop by the White House. Okay, so Walton Junior arrive home from school to find Gretchen's Bentley in the driveway. Inside, uh, Flint thanks her for uh, her help, and much to Walt's surprise, she says, You're welcome. She then uh, hurries off, and Walt follows follows her out and asks her not to do or say anything. They then meet at a restaurant where he apologizes, but refuse to tell her why he lied to his family about her and Elliot paying for his treatment. They begin to argue about their past, and it's clear that Walt feels like the Schwartzes stole his life's work, while Gretchen argues that it was Walt who left her, and we get some, some more insight into their backstory, that they were a couple at some point and they were at her parents' house or her family's house on a 4th of July weekend. And she says, I feel sorry for you, and Walt replies that with an ice cold fuck you on the uncensored version of the episode, anyway, which prompts her to leave. Meanwhile, Jesse gets Spooges' address from Skinny Pete and goes over to the house to retrieve the crystal that they stole. After he breaks in, he finds a little kid alone in the house who he bonds with as he waits for them to come back. When the Spooges do arrive home, they're arguing about losing the crystal. And Jesse holds a gun on them and demands that they uh, turn over the drugs they stole. When they tell Jesse that Mrs. Spooch, or Skank, lost the drugs, Jesse demands (laughs) that they pay him. Uh, So Spooch then takes Jesse into the backyard where he shows him an ATM that he lifted and then they try to break it open while Jesse is distracted. He gets hit over the head, and they take his gun. When he finally comes to, Spooch is working underneath the ATM machine, like the way it reminds me of like the way a mechanic you know gets on his back and is underneath a car. And uh, he's arguing with his wife, and he keeps calling her a skank, and that is uh, clearly a mistake because then she tips the ATM machine over onto his head. So, I ain't no skank. Uh, yeah. So uh, Jesse um, frantically wipes down everything that he touched, and as he's wiping down the ATM machine, of course it pops open and spits money out. So he grabs a bunch of money, he calls 911, and as he's headed out the front door, he stops and he goes back for the kid, telling him to cover his eyes as he carries him through the house. And then he leaves the kid on the front doorstep and takes off.
1: All right, so, Aaron, you're the guest. We thought we'd let you go first and let us know your overall impressions of this episode.
3: Uh, as part of prepping for this episode, I watched the episode, but I actually went back and listened to the podcast recorded, which was, God, I don't know how long ago it was, um, to kind of see like if my takes had drifted. But I think I agree with Aaron from about eight years ago that uh, this is an early kind of standout gut punch episode. You know, Breaking Bad had been a dark comedy and had been badass, but, like, something that really made you feel, like, dirty watching it. Uh, something yeah. like, you know, some some of the uh, season four episodes of The Wire. This kid, uh, he's actually played by little twin actors. Um, and I, out of a weird twist of fate, I got to meet meet these, this kid at a Breaking really? Bad fest. These kids, yeah, and their mom. Um, wow. this, this kid just, like, really guts you. And what's really you know, extra pathetic is knowing that, like, this is kind of real life. There are, I kept on thinking about five years ago, there was this uh, headline in the local Cincinnati newspaper where there was a picture of a couple in a minivan in the front seat passed out because they were on, you know, uh, it, was, it was probably uh, uh, oxy. Probably
2: opiates, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's, 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 yeah that was the, the drug kind of sweeping uh, things of the day. And there's this kid, like in you know the seat behind them, uh, just kind of like playing quietly by himself, clearly awake and conscious in a in a car seat. And it's just like fuck. Um, you really felt yeah. that meeting spooge and his old lady and uh, this poor unfortunate child. Uh, it really made you feel. And it's so so funny to watch Jesse coming up and he's prepping for all the wrong confrontations. Like he's like, you know, give me my money, bitch, give me my money. But what really confronts him and what really uh kills him is this this little kid uh and uh so yeah and then of course there's a huge moment uh in walt development with the fuck you to gretchen it's a it's a pretty standout early episode
1: yeah and i, and I that's what i wrote in my notes too was it's an icky episode overall like it's very good but there, it's just uncomfortable at times. And, and it's funny because I didn't get a chance to listen to the insider podcast this week in preparation, but I, I did. Um, I was interested in how they find a house like this or how they, they mm. stage a house like this, because I was kind of under the impression that they would get like a, a vacant house and then they would have to do that, you know, sort of mess it all up. But I mean, it looks so, it looks so messed up when you when you watch it that it's 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 hard to imagine how they would do that, right? And I found an, uh, a quote from Aaron Paul saying that actually this house was just a neighborhood house owned by someone who was a hoarder and uh, you know just had a ton of cats and everything like that. And they actually cleaned the house up somewhat in order to use it to be you know make it so that they could actually shoot in there which blew my mind. and and it's just like what I thought was kind of amazing about this episode was the way that Walt carries himself in that conversation with Gretchen manages to be equally as disgusting as this house, you know, like um, it's just a, I think it's a wonderfully orchestrated back and forth between those two people. And it exposes more about Walt than we've seen. And it, you know, it it's weird because it because it it forces her to sort of draw this line and contact Skylar and say she can't help anymore. Um, it kind of works out in Walt's favor at the end because it it's it you know gives him a little bit of relief around the house because now he's not the bad guy. He's more of like, wow, this is a terrible thing that's happening to us together. So it sort of brings them, kind of fixes some things that's going on with them. And the other thing, just to go back really quickly about the house and the, and the situation with the kid, I mean, I I, I really it, it's a I mean it's really difficult to to see and know that you know that that this happens to children, you know, like throughout the country, like you brought up Aaron, and um, it's it's funny because it's not funny, but it's it, it's a it's a nice connection there that. You know, this is directly related to what Walt and uh, Jesse are doing. And we see this softer side of him here. But it's also the kind of thing that just sort of makes makes it, like, certain that he's going to continue to do this. You know, like, he, he he just sort of, like, he's deep. He's, like, entrenched even more in the whole process, you know, going out and collecting this debt and being the man or whatever else. So what about you, Courtney?
2: Yeah, so... One of the things, Aaron, that that we've been thinking a lot about is like the legacy of the show and how it resonates to an audience in twenty twenty three. So I actually remember the story you just told about that that family in Cincinnati about how the the mother and father were I think dead right when they when they found the toddler. Was it in the that car. I,
3: I know that they're passed out, but I wasn't sure they were dead. Wow.
2: Yeah. So, but like in, in 2009, when this episode was, uh, first aired, right? Like, certainly, like, there were, there were pockets of the country dealing with, with epidemics and drug crises and things like that, but not to the extent that we really saw with the opioid crisis that really took a hold of the country in like the last, uh, five, ten years, right? So I think it it resonates in in a in a slightly different way today. When when you rewatch it, it really is like you know, like and and we mentioned this. I think n- maybe not in the last episode, pipa and the one before, but we were talking about this character of Spooch. And we do get to see Spooge in uh, Better Call Saul, like before he turns into this Spooge and mm-hmm. uh, just like how different he looks and how, how much cleaner he looks and healthier he looks. I mean, obviously, he still goes to Saul Goodman for legal advice, um, so he did something. But um, you, I, I wonder if that's something that they were they were thinking about when they wrote Better Call Saul. Um just yeah, I think
1: they were trying to undo that progression, right? I mean that's like spooge prime before yeah uh before it really got a hold of him, and um, yeah, like here that I don't think you could better present a couple who it's got a hold of in you know in a in a better way than what they do here it's uh it's horrifying
2: it is it is horrifying and and just given what's happened in the United States in like you know the last ten years or so. Even even more so, because I think probably everyone knows of someone who's been affected by um, addiction and the the drug crisis. Right. So uh, uh, something you said, Pete, about how this episode really reveals Jesse's softer side. That's, again, something that stood out to me, especially upon rewatch and like how he won't squash the bug at the beginning. He bends down and you know, uh, plays with it and the way that he helps that little kid. Um, I think that's in such stark contrast to the Walt we're presented in this episode uh, and just how hardened and cynical and nasty he's really become. So you likened him to the, the squalor of that house. And by the way, Pete, I did listen to the Insider podcast and they did talk about the house on it. Mm. And so it was like this older woman who let them shoot in her house. So it is a real location. And I think they did mention she had something like 14 cats and dogs. In, in the place, so it was uh, a bit of a mess. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So f- for for me, but that was a this- really
3: really pleasant s- uh, set to shoot on. I, the smell yeah. must have been just just perfect.
2: They did talk about it, yeah. <laughs> in my notes,
1: whenever it. I was I was watching it, that's what I wrote down because like the the very first thing he does when he goes in is he sits down on the couch, and I swear that just makes my skin crawl thinking mm. about like what what mm. that you know because there's. Because, like, you know, there's your mess and your smells and the things that you do that you get used to. And then there's, like, some rando who you're right. there to uh, collect your money from. And, like, that is... Mm-hmm. Uh... I mean, I guess he was getting all geared up, smoking up in the car before he went in. So he might have been, you know, had other things on his mind or whatever. But I can only <laughs> imagine what that, that would be like to, to sit down there on that couch at that time.
2: Ugh, it really is, again, one of those really visceral... <laughs> episodes right where like you feel like you can smell it as you're watching it and mm-hmm. when he's sitting on the couch with the kid like the way they stained the couch and you know with the little duct tape on the on the armrest part of it uh and oh man the sound effects in this one so like when they pull mm. the the condoms full of drugs out of their uh, um bodies and then of course yeah. the sound of the atm it's uh, it's really disgusting <laughs> it's so gross but um just one other thing, rewatching this, um something that occurred to me that I don't think I ever thought of when I watched this episode before. Have either of you seen the funnier die uh webisode with Will Ferrell and the little the little baby who plays his landlord? I don't no. think so. Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, Okay, I'm gonna share the link with you with you later. It's hilarious. It's it's a classic So I had to actually look it up because I was curious I haven't thought about it in in years it came out in 2007 and so the story is is Will Farrell is in his apartment and um, This his landlord is coming to collect rent and so he's inside with a friend and he's nervous and then he opens the door And it's a toddler. It's like this two-year-old girl and she starts cursing at him and screaming. I want my money bitch I want my money bitch and it reminded me so much of how Jesse is trying to pump himself up before he goes in the house. Give me my money, bitch. It's it's, uh, yeah. it's funny. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's a real, you mentioned this too, Pete. This is a real transformational episode for Jesse. Like he grows up a lot in, you know, uh, just in terms of um, him having to think uh, uh, on his own feet, like I that, that high speed, that frantic, uh, trying to wipe down all of his prints and get out of there clean um, you know, the fact that he's trying to do something right by the kid. Uh, I feel like uh, Jesse grows up a lot in this season and this episode in particular. And I really enjoyed that aspect that like this. He's come a long way since the pilot episode, you know, the kids captain yeah. Cook days.
1: Yeah. And it's a nice parallel with what's going on with Walt, because you see you see that there's there's some good in Jesse and there's maybe a little bit more bad in than Walt than you previously thought you know like there's definitely that that they're playing with there
3: yeah and they how they they get you pumped up in the beginning of the episode with like uh you know skinny pete and jesse essentially uh trying to both get out of making the collect call right and then Mm -hmm. jesse reluctantly doing it and him gearing up to be like this action man of violence and you know the whole time you're thinking oh is he going to be able to do this he's going to put the gun and the, the moral quandary that they get you set up for what actually happens when he – it's it's so great how, the you know, it's anticlimactic. The door opens and there's nobody home. And <laughs> it's like you never see that in shows. Like when Tony's good dudes and The Sopranos go to break someone's legs, it's he's never just – oh, I just missed him. He ran out to smoke and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and they got to come back. Or, or Jesse's like, you know, what the hell? Where are all these people? And then – Right as that's kind of set a living, like this is kind of an anti climax. This kid just busts open the door, uh, pops uh on, uh, you know, the, the home shopping network and, and chills out. And Jesse's what's like, the what?
1: knife channel? Yeah.
3: Which is yeah, the only like,
1: channel they get.
3: <laughs> in, in 60 seconds, you go from like, Is Jesse going to be able to p- put the gun on these guys to like, Oh my God, Jesse's going to have to figure out what to do with this kid? Like, and also, like, what's he go- This kind of limits his options. Is he going to orphan this kid? It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a really interesting and, and sophisticated bait and switch they play with us. And I thought it was uh, – it, it it really made – add a lot of spice to the beginning of the episode.
2: Yeah, and this this episode really lets Jesse off the hook. So Walt has put him on this business. He wants him to go in and collect the dope that they stole. And he's prepared to do it. But then, you know, as we watch the episode, uh, he's – exempt from having to actually do it because they hit him over the head with a bottle, they take the gun, and the wife ends up killing Spooge and Jesse still gets the money. So in in a way he's walking away from it clean. I mean, if you can call that clean. I mean it's still literally blood money that he he picks up mm. off the floor as it's spitting out of the ATM machine. But um it's it's a I think an interesting uh take on on how Jesse's I guess his His moral compass, right? So we do see that, that shift, how he's walking and prepared to, to, to do what he has to do. And then what is instead revealed is this much softer, compassionate side. And what really begins this trend with Jesse in wanting to protect innocence, especially children. So we see it first here with, uh, Spooge's kid. And then we later see it, of course, with Brock, um, how he feels about, uh, Andrea's little brother, Tomas. And uh, the kid on the dirt bike drew sharp, right? So Jesse becomes a defender of, of innocence, and it starts here.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't know if it, was there anything else you wanted from your your overall impressions? Because I wanted to to skip to that part about, like, the introduction. Like, it, w- it wasn't really a, a teaser that's, it was a linear teaser this week. But um, was there anything else before we go into that?
2: I mean, I had a couple of other things, but I'll I'm sure there'll be opportunity later.
1: Take a break. Wander around in a fugue state. We'll be right back. Tight, tight, tight. We're back with more GDT. All right. So yeah, what, what you know, you were just talking about the the way that 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 ends in the, in the house with uh, Mrs. Spooge. I guess <laughs> it's funny because the whole gag is that he never calls her a name. That really, that you can only really refer to her as Skank because that's that's how she's been introduced by her her significant other there. But as, as I think you said it earlier, you know, the other the other option is Mrs. Spooge. Um I think she's credited in
2: the episode as uh, Spooge's woman. I think that's how um the actress Yeah, is that
1: well that's the way that Skinny Pete says it, right? And um that that's what I was thinking about, you know, you 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 brought up the idea that that Jesse, you know, he's looking at the the beetle, he he picks it up. He's obviously kind of fascinated with it. And Skinny Pete comes over and he he stomps it without thinking, you know what I mean? And that that you know, the, the way that Spooge meets his end is is very similar. Um, Mrs. Spooge has something that she wants. He's he's pushed her buttons to the point that you know she's willing to squash his squash him like a bug, and and really with the same amount of 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 concern, you know what I mean? It's just like this thing is in my way. And now I'm going to stomp it.
2: Yeah, and it it does call back to a line that Hank said previously when uh, Walt, Hank, and Junior are standing outside barbecuing, and uh, Walt says to Hank um, something like, uh, "Where do these criminals come from?" And Hank says, "You know, uh, like cockroaches. You know, they just they just come out, and you don't think about it. You just stomp them, right?" So this this idea of uh, of this kind of low life or or squalor right um you don't don't think about criminals as as human at least that's hank's point of view and uh the the callousness of what she does to him you know over over nothing right calling her a skank but yeah i i I love um i think of course that was very intentional how they uh have that squishing sound (laughs) right Mm -hmm. at the outset as of you know sort of foreshadowing what's going to, to happen to, to Spooge's skull. Um, give him a, a cranial, right? <laughs> Re-
1: rewatching, I, I thought it was interesting how... I didn't necessarily remember, you know, as a key part of the uh, the episode, the way that Skinny Pete kind of puffs himself up and says, you know, because if you don't want to do it, I can do it, which is obviously, right. you know, no, I, I really want you to take care of this because I don't want to have anything to do with these people that, you know, are obviously unhinged and pulled a knife on me you know what I mean but he's got to kind of look tough in front of his uh in front of his boss I guess um I think that it's it's hilarious how they they sort of go in that little circle and then it's kind of it's the thing like Walt just if we remember back to the last episode Walt just showed up at Jesse's house and and demanded that he did this you know like he goes to fix this and um you know, just the way that they push each other into it when no one really wants to do it. And then like you pointed out, Aaron, how he gets there and he's trying to, you know, put so much time into trying to to pump himself up, but it, it the, you know, it's all for nothing. It's basically, these are two incompetent, um, methods that are, are just, you know, basically, um, not the smartest, uh, people around. And they're just sort of like, not not really that big of a a problem, but because of the way the situation plays out, it you know, there's this delay of like when that when it, when he can actually get this done. I mean, because if you think about it, this is something that should have taken five minutes, you know what I mean? Instead, it ends up being the whole day that he's stuck there. And it, instead of it being like they're outsmarting him or anything else, it's just like he there's no way for him to move forward in the situation.
3: You mentioned uh, Courtney, I thought, uh, said something to get in in the uh, general thoughts that kind of got my wheels spinning when she says that um, Jesse's kind of let off the hook morally because he didn't have to kill Spooge. And what, you know, Breaking Bad's loaded with these uh, chiral forms, kind of like these reflections of, of different character arcs. And I think it's interesting that in season two, Walt towards the end will have a kind of similar situation where... He gets to choose, you know, he gets, uh, he doesn't have to get his hands dirty and kill someone. Uh, he just refuses to lend assistance. And he kind of is let off the hook uh, morally uh, That's so just something that, you know, the audience judges him for. But uh, and it's also an interesting contrast because Jesse, if I recall correctly, uses this to springboard a little bit of street cred that hell, yeah, I'm the guy that caved in Spooge's head. And, you know, people are kind of afraid and they respect him versus Walt, who kept the secret of his complicity in the death secret. Um, I thought that's interesting contrasts between the protagonists here.
2: It is. It is. And uh, the what you're talking about, um, Aaron, is um, and I think in the next episode, the whole bluefish speech that Walt gives him because Jesse is really distraught over what happened and he's not answering his phone calls and, you know, sleeping on a sleeping bag in his new apartment. (laughs) And, uh, it's, it's Walt's idea actually to, to, uh, I guess borrow that, that, that street cred, you know, <laughs> that everyone thinks that he did this. And, um, it works for, for a short period of time. But, um, something that I, I've been thinking about. And this is how, uh, Pete, you opened this episode with, with your question about street names and things like that. And, this idea of, of identity and naming oneself. So we see a lot of that in this series. So um, Jesse's idea of, of a tough name being Diesel, right? And then Walt mm. christening himself, of course, as Heisenberg. Um, and then we see that also with with Better Call Saul. And Saul Goodman isn't even his real name. Uh, he's he's Jimmy McGill. So. I think it's it's really interesting um, about how these characters view them themselves. And uh, Aaron, Aaron um, to, to get back to what you were you were talking about, like with these uh, these chiral, um, you know, opposite, but the s- chemically similar, um, I guess, uh, of images or, or beings in this case, Walt and Jesse. Uh, this this really is an interesting inversion at this point. So uh, Jesse is supposed to be the street guy, the tough guy. But um, of course, we know that Walt is really the the um, psychopath behind this operation, the one that doesn't have the moral qualms that that Jesse has. And this episode really lays that bear. And I think some, you know, later on in the series, we'll see a lot more examples of that.
3: Well, it all comes back to, you know, the other thing about Walt and Jesse is like their, their sense of personal responsibility. Like that's something that Walt's always paying lip service to, but like... When you look at the deaths in the series, Walt's always finding other people to blame or reasons why it's acceptable or, you know, he's he's justifying himself, whereas Jesse always takes it personally, you know, and uh, turns that uh, criticism inwards instead of externally. And it's one of the reasons it's like, I don't know if it's fair to say that Walt doesn't feel the impacts of his death. It's just that he's always finds a way to reconcile it, you know, with like, I had to or... You know, it's a blowfish fish theory or, uh, you know, I guess given no choice, whereas Jesse, you know, uh, kind of eats, eats at himself. Um, and it's one of the reasons I think, you know, deep down it's like Walt is incapable of resisting the spiral into the abyss where, you know, Jesse, I think they make a, a compelling case in El Camino that, you know, he's at least trying to um, because he still hasn't, you know, given up his humanity.
1: Yeah, and and I think that that progression that they the way that they laid those decisions out, um, you you touched on it earlier, you know, t- we were talking about them being let off the hook, and and th- those all those choices, you know, watching this closely and going back and and knowing everything that's going to happen and and going through these episodes, that's one of the things that we mentioned a couple of times now was that, you know, the part of the reason why you you're not you're not completely turning on. Walt is because in the earlier situations, he did sort of not have a choice, you know, like the, the big, his first big kill, which we were rem- reminded of recently, whenever the, um, the bike lock came back out. Uh, but you know, when he, when he kills crazy eight, it, he doesn't, he, he, he's trying to pump, pump himself up and then the, the, it just actually presents itself where he's, he has to do it because, you know he has that that piece of plate and if he lets him go he's going to to stab him each of these things you know it, it just keeps progressing that way until we get to that point with um with uh Jane you know where we we're watching that's where you really start to say well hey i mean he made that as a decision like he was right there he could have changed what happened and he chose not to and so yeah it's it's interesting to see how how these things are are going along. And then as you both mentioned, how they even though he had nothing to do with Spooge, they're, they're happy to take that on as him being some kind of badass because you know it it furthers their interests um going forward. And and I guess like I was going to I was going to go in a different direction, but I think with what we're talking about now, it makes sense for us to Talk about the the sit down between Gretchen and Walt. I guess just you know to mention it, it, I don't know if there's anything we need to say there, but this is another one of those opportunities, right? Where Walt is is not going. He's he's controlling the the conversation so that Skylar doesn't know what's going on with them, and then this this thing presents itself. It's a it's a chance for her to reach out to Gretchen and thank her for this thing that she thinks that she's doing that's it's a big deal and then that leads to gretchen coming over and walt being surprised that she didn't you know tell the truth and then they have this this meal there's so much that happens in this this back and forth like i think i think it's really uh just perfectly set up for us to 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 see another layer of um of who Walt is. And, you know, that, that, the, I, I thought like the, the thing that really stood out was when she said, What happened to you? You know, and, um, of course he looks at that and says, Well, you know, of course what happened to me was that I got screwed out of my money, you know, going back to that idea of H. Tracy Hall and the, uh, synthetic process for, you know, the process for making synthetic diamonds. He was talking, you know, he's he thinks that that what happened was what what happened to him was that they they screwed him out of his money. But she lays it out pretty clearly that he walked away. You know, it wasn't that's not exactly what happened at all. Like she he just bounced and now he blames them. And that's where you have to come to the question then is maybe nothing happened to him. Maybe he always was just this way. That's who he is. And so whenever she says, this isn't you she's just wrong you know what i mean
2: well i think a couple things right so um one thing that i wanted to to touch on really quickly and this was something that i that occurred to me uh, in my first impressions um but when he's in the classroom a little bit earlier and he's you know going on and on about carbon and giving them this little lesson on carbon he talks about the man who um i guess came up with like the way to synthesize diamonds this guy Uh, What's his name? H Tracy Hall. And he talks about how he worked for GE at the time. And the way this man was rewarded was with a $10 US savings bond. And that um, you can you can sense from the way Walt focuses on that part of the story that he sees this as like a huge oversight and injustice, right? That this man who generated billions of dollars, and he even says that billions of dollars, um, (laughs) you know, for for GE and, and the world, right? And that's that's what he focuses on. And the students don't even
1: get it at all, which is hilarious to me. Like they're just like, "Really? Could you please just wrap this up? Whatever this is about."
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're completely checked out most of the time whenever he's talking. And so when we get to this scene with Gretchen, um, I think we already have a, a sense of how Walt feels about you know people, scientists in particular, not being given their credit and not being given their due. So um, one of the things that she says to him that this isn't you and you this is what you were alluding to, Pete. And then Walt says, well, what would you know about me? And I mean, I, I think she obviously knew him well enough at some point in his life. They were in a relationship. They worked together um, professionally. And what he did was he retreated. He ran away. Right. So like whatever happened, and the truth is probably somewhere in between. We have his side. We have her side um and it's probably somewhere in the middle right um but it is interesting to get these two completely different points of view of what actually transpired and happened that that caused them to to break up and for him to leave the company but the the Walt that was the Walt at the beginning of Breaking Bad the the Walt that we meet in the first half of the pilot certainly he's already started to change by the end of the pilot is this very passive submissive guy you know he's non-confrontational he doesn't stand up for himself he doesn't argue and um, maybe that's always just been his M.O. is he just F.O.'s right when when the the stress um, is is too great or whatever. So and and we really start to see that shift um, at the end of the last episode where he wants Jesse to handle this problem with the spooges. He gives him the gun. He wants to be Tuco. Right. So he took that very literally about like we have to be Tuco. We have to project this image of, of toughness. No one fucks with us. Nobody can rip us off sort of thing so um he is at this point completely changed and so it is i think uh you know maybe maybe in a way gretchen sees him more clearly than than anyone else at this point in time can and uh he's happy to let her really see him too that that really cold fuck you to her is uh you you get the sense that that's a real honest moment with him
1: yeah, he's been carrying that one around in his back pocket for a while. He's just yeah. been waiting to to drop that one out. I mean, yeah, like the i i was when I was watching this, I was I was taking notes and I was like, okay, I can't just write down every single thing that they say back and forth <laughs> to each other, you know. But it's really like the 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 dialogue is really like that. Like every single thing that they say is important as far as like what's going on with him what will happen with him in the future, how he became this way, like it's it's all kind of laid out right there. Um hey Ron, whenever I had you guys on and we talked about that, you know, we sort of talked about this idea was Walt always this way and and it just it just sort of came out because of what happened. And you made the point there about um you thought you, you thought I think and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you were saying was that you believe that we could all be that way, you know, like we, we all have that kind of thing in us, but we don't, you know, most of us never make it to that, to that point. And, and perhaps Walt's point is, you know, is was sort of on a hair trigger already.
3: Well, they say that like, you know, like, um, you talk about things being like genetic, that like people have a, predisp- a, a predisposition to, uh, be, uh, susceptible to heart uh, heart disease, or they have a predisposition to have, um, uh, you, you know, an anxiety disorder, or they have, uh, they might have a predisposition towards alcoholism or violence. But like a geneticist will tell you that, like genes need, you know, genes also need an environment in which to express themselves. You know, like there's two things. It's not just the genes; it's also what environment they they ex- express themselves into. And I, I guess that's what I was going for because I was when I was re-listening to our old podcast, I was kind of struck by how still. You know, this was eight years ago. Um, I was surprisingly sympathetic to 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 Walter. Um, and like I think when I first started the the, the you know when I was watching this uh, season two for the first time, I was much more sympathetic to him because we haven't seen the full depths of his the the depravity. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, because you can see it's like, you know, would Walt have turned into a psychopath if America had, you know, a socialized medicine system to where he didn't feel like that he he had a choice between leaving his family destitute or dying of cancer, Um, you know? Like, is this a class issue? Because I, I look at this conversation. I see Gretchen, who's a wealthy woman, and and Elliot, who's a wealth. They, they both come from wealth. Yeah, generational I mean, he, he, wealth, right? he throws
1: that in her face in this conversation. He says, "Little rich girl always gets what she wants," or something. I'm
3: paraphrasing.
2: Adding it. to her, millions, and, and I think yeah. there might,
3: there might be a real disconnect between he goes out uh, to this family retreat, and let's say that her dad and her two brothers, or however, took him to the side and be like, "Look." our sister's soft-hearted and soft-headed and she's been fucking with you, you, you you're, 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 you're trash class, whatever, uh, long enough. She's been infatuated, but it's time to end this. And, like, I think that's something that you could feel very offended and want to be like, fuck all that. But, like, you know, um, and, and, and go off half-cocked and kind of withdraw. And then I can also see a person that's super wealthy Like thinking that it'd be fine to go ahead with the ideas that we had been discussed as a threesome that this guy doesn't want to be in part of the company anymore. Like, what's the big deal? Because they don't understand the importance of like, you know, a discovery like that. A guy like Walt that can change his life because, you know, their lives are pretty much on a trajectory. And there's So it's like I can see in the margins, but like it's, you know, when you get to late season Breaking Bad and you see what Walt's capable of. Like the, whatever gene he was capable of is fully expressed and it's awful. Yeah. And but it's just like one of those things where it's like, God, if like what are all the things that had to go wrong in, in Walt's life to get him in this spot? It doesn't excuse it, but like it does feel like Gretchen and Elliot are a little bit out of touch. And it did feel like the Walt felt like there was a big class divide and he didn't belong and he wasn't entitled to. And maybe that he thought deep down the Gretchen felt that way too this wasn't just her dad but that's something that she would have uh you know seen as an accuracy in her time now again this all goes back to walt's own insecurity Mm -hmm. and walt's failure to engage and stand his ground and fight on something instead of you know going to gretchen and be like your dad and your brother said this is this how you feel is this how you you know he just fucking takes off and 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 ghosts her um but but yeah, I think it's uh, – it, 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 there's so many things where you could see it's like if this little thing was changed, if this little thing was changed, if Walt was just like 10% less prideful, um, you know, if – if because uh, it felt like at the beginning of the series, too, that him and Skyler were disconnected, too. If he was a little bit – they were still a little bit more re- connect, uh, connected, invested in a relationship, you know. If they didn't have was, a hard road the, the hoe with Walt Jr., like, could he – his life been completely different, but – Yeah, it's it's mostly just interesting to see how much I was still willing to carry a little bit of Walt's water uh, eight years ago. Whereas like when I was watching this episode today, it's just like, God damn, look at this guy blowing through. flashing red light for flashing red light and his poor wife just getting you know Well,
2: hindsight is always 2020 right so like of course knowing what we know it's you go back and you're like you know what he was an ass from the beginning but i think probably that is like kind of more or less the universal experience when you're at if you're watching it for the first time you get you're completely in Walt's corner still at least i was don't forget your pants we'll be back after this short break
3: We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then.
0: Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Fire up the RV. We're back with more growth, decay, transformation. I
1: was going to say that's what really jumped out at me at, at this this particular episode this time. Like it's it's made explicit. You know what I mean? Like there's really no two ways about it. Like this conversation with Gretchen is unhinged from you know if you look at it look at it objectively. Like he's he's saying like she's saying like how is that not How is this? How does this not concern me? Like, you're using me in your lie with your family. Like, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely involved in this situation. And he's just like, nah, it doesn't concern you. That's it. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's really like all right there. I do think,
3: oh boy. Oh boy. I'm getting dragged into the argument again. I, okay. I do think there's a little bit of Gretchen, like, okay. Your name has been drugged into the fact that Walt has told a lie to his wife and child to explain how he's paying for the cancer treatment. And given your guys' personal history and given the, you know, like the, the somewhat embarrassing nature of being put in a position of asking for money, it's like, I feel like Gretchen, she centered that on herself an awful lot, you know? Like, how can you have you ever thought about how this impacts me and my husband? Well, okay, Walt's dying of cancer. So, like, maybe he, like, I I still think that, like, also that and the way they cast, they cast this, uh, I forget what this woman's name, but she got, I feel like just she got cast in the late 90s and early 2000s as just as like a, a hateable person. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was, was on was, Friends, right? She was, yeah, Ross's she was Ross's ex wife that uh, kind of treated as like she was all, she's also kind of like, I think like, She's supposed to be like um, uh, guys of that era's nightmare girlfriend slash wife slash just like, oh, God, if I was married to that, I would I would die because she's just going to hinpeck me and she's going to uh, sneer at me. And like I Vince knew all that. Oh, and yeah, I, I feel yeah. like there's there like I feel like sometimes Vince um, like decries the fact that he did so well in setting up some of these characters to be kind of mm. and, – and Walt to be sympathetic that it was like a, a Frankenstein's monster that he lost control of. And he's like, oh, Jesus, I can't believe the people are – got the pitchforks in the – <laughs> But, like, some of this stuff is – he designed, I think, season one Skyler to be an, a good antagonist and a good thwarting uh, – a, 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 a person, a good foil to Walt. And I think he designed Gretchen and Elliot to be the exact same thing. And, you know – I I it's it's uh, yeah. Yeah, we were, yeah. we got um, into
1: this last episode because we were talking about the decision to have her smoke while she was pregnant, you mm-hmm. know? Like there was a lot of other things that they could have chose there, but that's something that people just universally are looked down upon, you know what I mean? Like there people yeah. people and, uh, people can't really forgive that uh because of the yeah. because of the victim there is has no no choice, you know? Like they they're just completely Victimized, you know what I mean. The the unborn. There baby. are a
3: lot of confounding factors, but it would also been it would have been a crappy show if it had just been all one side of Walt's clearly evil from the beginning. Oh yeah, and uh, it is like you said the twenty the hindsight being twenty twenty. It's like I try to balance, you know, like oh this was obvious that Walt was this diabolical, despicable character from the beginning from like well I don't know I I think it, there was like some genuine murky areas and there's also. Walt, even though he's a despicable person, he has complicated feelings about his family and about Jesse in particular. Yeah, where Jesse is like a threat, and Jesse is uh, um, uh, like a like a more of a son than Walt Jr. Yes, in some ways, yes, and he yes, cares yes. for him that way, but he's also competing with him and. And, uh, there, it's, so it's like, you know, Walter is not just, uh, he's a sympathetic villain. And I think he remains that throughout the series, uh-huh. even if you're rooting for him to either escape or get his at the end. Uh, he still maintains some, cause, cause, yeah, who can't identify with a person being with your back against the wall yep
2: yep so aaron you said a whole bunch of things there are a couple things i wanted to respond to so the actress that plays gretchen is jessica hetch and she's actually married to um adam bernstein who works on on breaking bad but um Mm -hmm. there was a something about this scene or this episode that i thought was really interesting so the decision that Gretchen didn't automatically come out and tell Skylar like what are you talking about when they first have that phone call and Skylar starts thanking her and she's like I'm coming over so she's Withholding information to gain information. And we see Walt do the same thing later with with Skylar when he's trying to figure mm. out what Gretchen said when she called, right? So he's withholding information when they're sitting on the couch trying to figure out how much Skylar already knows. Because he, you can see it on his right. face. Like, he thinks he's been outed already. And he thinks that it's going to mm. be this conversation where he has to tell her about how and why he lied. But, um, again, gets off the hook, right? So Jesse gets off the hook. Walt gets off the hook here, but I thought that was really interesting and something that you said, Aram, was like, um, "Is is Gretchen really all that innocent? Right? Like, so why doesn't she tell Skylar?" And why does she go along with Walt's lie? She makes herself complicit with the lie, right? So that's a choice that she makes. And then she uses that as leverage over Walt. So there is this really strange power dynamic that happens between the two of them. And the other thing I wanted to mention was... I think
1: the implication is, real quick, I think the implication is that she wants answers about why Walt did what he did back then too, right?
2: Yes, yes. I think that is definitely the subtext there, right? So like, there's a lot that's been unsaid and there's... Which um, makes it
1: very complicated, yeah.
2: Yes, it does, it does. But going back to um, another point that you made, Aaron, this idea of of class differences, this is something that we've talked uh, quite a bit about on on this podcast, and it's something that we talked a lot about when Jim was on when we did Gray Matter. So um a couple of things like with with uh, just how uncomfortable Walt and Skyler are moving in that space when they go to the Schwartz's house you can see the physical discomfort they're embarrassed by their clothing um and I think that's uh, again a, a sort of common experience I think some people feel super
1: relatable sometimes Yeah uh... like
2: if you're if you don't come from exorbitant wealth right it can be uncomfortable to be around that kind of wealth for some people right Um, Because of like and that's like a whole other discussion, like the the whole idea of class and, and, uh, you know, um, the structures uh, that are like inherent in in the United States of America in particular. Um, But I think that's really uh, an interesting thing. And just one thing I wanted to
3: America is a classless society. We left all that (laughs) behind in Britain. Yeah. (laughs) What are you talking about?
2: Yeah, no castes here, right? Um, but just one no other
3: th- lords and ladies allowed in this country. <laughs> there, are, we're all equal. All equal.
2: Yeah, but just just one other thing. Um, I got the impression that Elliot does not come from money, so he married into Gretchen's wealth. Because if you'll remember in Grey Matter when they're talking, um, Walt and Elliot were roommates and they survived on ramen noodles. So you got this idea that they were both really, really poor. So I think that adds some oh, something.
3: They were both Billy. Joel's to her Christy Brinkley. Exactly. Okay. So I think
2: that adds to gotcha. like Walt's wounded e- ego, right, is because he did have the girl. He had the brains. He had the girl. He had the company and he walked away. Now this nebbish Elliot you know, gets it all. Right. So I think that's like a, 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 some somewhat salt in the wound. So when Elliot, you know, tries to, to offer him the job, it just like uh, that's like the biggest insult to him. This idea of like their charity and their pity is just so abhorrent and repulsive to him. And we really see that play out um, with with Gretchen in this episode where the the real emotion comes from. So we got a, a sense of it, but he doesn't really seem to harbor any bad feelings towards Elliot. It seems to really be centered on whatever happened with him and Gretchen. At least that's that's my impression.
3: It is interesting that Vince never gave us a g- glimpse of what the truth was. You know, was there any... You know, but I, I, I again, I don't think there's any truth that would justify the many, many murders um, and, and other things that uh, Walt did over his criminal career. But it's just like one of the things I've always wondered is like, you know... What happened in that July 4th thing? Right? Like, how it was, was it – because, you know, what what did her brothers and dad say? Um, it seems unlikely to me that, that, that Walt would just fly off the handle because he got out there and, you know, there was some money flying around. I, I, I bet they did, you know, in whether intentionally or no, I, I bet they did do something, say something that made him feel, you know, less than or inadequate or, you know – uh, l- 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 unable to provide her the lifestyle in which that he was, you know, she's accustomed to. Whatever
1: you were talking about this a little bit, Courtney, but we we did sort of get into that uh, in the last um, whenever Jim was here when we did gray matter, the idea that you know at that point you really see you're really going through Walt's point of view, and you really see Gretchen and Elliot as bad guys, uh, where they, they're not they're not perfect obviously and, and and you know this goes back to what you're saying before like you can kind of see where where Walt's coming from you know what i mean it's not like he doesn't know them it's not it's not just blind resentment there there are things you know at play here that make it complicated and with you know the the idea is that they're not quite as bad as as he sees them and um you know so when i say that like you should it's right there in front of you you should see it. It, it it's 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 a lot better than that because hopefully you know whenever they're putting it together they're thinking about how we're going to filter that information like what they're presenting to us and mm-hmm. and and we say you know what um i if i don't like either one of these people maybe but i kind of like Walt better because you know it, it because he's you know he's in this situation and at least he's doing something but i was just saying like you know when you watch it now with full information about where this is going it's pretty it's pretty in your face in in a way in in this in this scene that i hadn't realized before
2: well just one other thing i was going to say about this this whole thing about how walt feels about other people. And I think like they kind of tell us everything we really need to know about Walt and how the world has treated him and how he sees himself from the pilot. So um, this idea of like what may have happened at the Fourth of July weekend at Gretchen's family's house, um, maybe they, they you know, made some sort of snide comments that made him self-conscious. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe he interpreted it to mean something, right? Like about his, his uh, lack of status or something like that. And um, but but when we see like how his own brother in law treats him in the pilot, how Hank talks to him and talks about him in front of like groups of people, you know, he's constantly emasculating him, telling him he looks like Keith Richards with a glass of warm milk. Um, You know, when he's holding the gun, he makes fun of the way he's holding the gun and says something like that's why they let men do it. So you get the sense that Walt has not ever stood up for himself, right? Like he just uh, turns inward. And I think that's a a great point that you made, Aaron, talking about Jesse, how he starts to turn more inward, and then Walt starts becoming more reactive with time. So again, like we see this, this sort of a, a reversal of roles for those those two characters, but... Um, Walt really just, uh, explodes, right? Like, and, and we see it come out in, in a, a, cu- a couple different ways before it gets really, really bad as the series goes on. But like, I, th- I guess I'm thinking of, um, like Ken Wins and how he, uh, <laughs> you know, puts the, the window squeegee in, in his, uh, in, on his battery and blows his car up and stuff like that. So you, Walt isn't going to take shit from anyone anymore. And, uh, I, I think, you know, um, whatever resentments uh, that he, or or grievances he's had, he has. Um, it's more than just whatever happened with with Gretchen. It's like his whole life. He sees himself as this victim that everyone has just dumped on and taken advantage of. At least that's the impression I get from him. Certainly rewatching it, like this is just someone that has a huge chip on his shoulder and wants wants everyone else to suffer because of it.
3: Well, you, there's a common phrase in therapy here that is the opposite of crazy is still crazy, and Walt was acting in the pilot episode. He's his crazy life. Like, he is his life is not even his own. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing everything he doesn't. It's, it's, it, uh, he's just so passive. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just inhaled a bug or something. <clears throat> he's so passive. He's so, um, you know, barely has a pulse, uh, that, you know, like the, the center that you're looking for between this passivity and this naked aggression is assertiveness. Uh, but Walt just can't find that balance. He careens from being mm-hmm. this passive, submissive person to this very reactive, very active, very aggressive, very dominant person, and he can't ever find that that center. Um and, you know, dying of cancer probably doesn't uh, uh, is not effective therapy and it's probably not a great way to get <laughs> into a centered, fully integrated space as a as a man. But but but, yeah, it's it's you can see that he, you know, he wants to be the opposite of where he was, but that is just as unhealthy is, uh where he's coming from.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. It's the two extremes. It's those chirals again. So you have the active, inactive and, yep. and the explosive on the other side.
3: Yeah,
1: I got pretty excited when I was watching this to see them back in the classroom, you know? I'm like, "Oh, there's going to be some um big lesson about lo- uh, about what what they had in mind for for Walt's character or whatever." So, we got that the H. Tracy Hall, the the inventor of the synthetic diamond. I I did look into that a little bit. Um I was surprised to hear that they that they had this process in the 1960s, I think he said, I didn't, I didn't make a note of it, but that synthetic diamonds have existed for all that time. And they never knowing what, you know, about how, how crazy, like, um, mining diamonds is and how, how much crazy stuff happens with that. Like that, that that never, that they never replace them. And, you know, I was looking about it. They, there's a, pretty much a, a big campaign by those companies that, or have the you know the the majority of the share in producing the mine diamonds won't let that happen basically um
3: the beers marketing team cannot be defeated
1: <laughs> yeah because when you google it all you like the first 10 results are all like why you should avoid uh man-made diamonds at all costs and things like that like the, the totally right. astroturfed uh information that's all there but it's it kind of, you know, like when every time we go in that classroom, you you see something about this character and and this is sort of where we're at with him right now, which is why it, it's it's a really interesting um choice for him to kind of get out of out of jail with, with Skylar, because one of the things that really jumped out at me here was that whenever she comes in and you don't like, we don't know what Gretchen has revealed yet. Right. Like we Mm -hmm. we're in the same, we're in the same spot as, um, as, as Walt is, uh, Skylar's holding all the cards and we, you know, we're, we're kind of expecting based on what's happened in the last few episodes for the bomb to drop, you know, for her to be like, this is the, this is the last straw, but she ends up being sympathetic because of the fact that they, they aren't paying anymore. And, um, you know what? What what jumped out to me th- about that situation was is like her not knowing. You know what I mean? Like how much of a betrayal is all of that? Like if you could put yourself in her shoes and find out like what's really been going on, and in, just in, to keep up this this whole thing. You know what I mean?
3: Well, and you add up the the amount of danger that he's putting her and Walt's Junior in without her knowledge and can you know it's it's like. It's not just the lies and the fact that he's got this internal life that he's keeping from her, but it's also just like how many, how much danger he's putting the family in without them even being aware of it.
2: Exactly.
3: That's the the really crazy thing. Yeah, that's yeah, where yeah.
1: that not knowing part is. It's like, it's it's awful, you know? Like, that's the kind of stuff that you find out and you're just like, it makes you question your reality, you know, the whole existence of everything. Like, what is the point if, if the person that's closest to me would... Would mislead me in this way, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, usually we think of worst case scenarios in terms of personal relationships. You think of like, oh, they might cheat on me, or they might, I don't know, take out another mortgage on the house and lose it all in Vegas. You don't usually think of like, oh, my family might, uh, my my husband or wife might get me on the wrong side of psychotic suit wearing axe murderers. <laughs> you know, that's usually not an everyone's worst case scenario when you're getting you're you're, you're exchanging vows at the altar and. And, uh, you know, the fact that these, if in large part, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, there's a little bit of a, a fig leaf covering Walt's morality in early seasons where it's like, well, he, you know, what else is he supposed to do? He didn't, his insurance sucks and, uh, you know, he got screwed by his partners and he's living hand to mouth and he's got cancer. What's he, what's, what's he, what's he to do? What's he to do? He's like the uh, eyebrow man at the car wash. What am I to do, Walter? I got, <laughs> I got to cook math. <laughs> But, like, you know, by the time you get to the end of the series, and he reveals that like you know, he had an out. like most people don't have wealthy benefactors that maybe you have to humble yourself a little bit, maybe you have to eat some unsalted crow, but you've got a way that doesn't involve kicking uh, you know cooking meth and killing children, uh providing for your family. And you find out that, like deep down, what he really did is that he he did this for his ego. He did mm-hmm. this because he didn't know how to stop being that passive-aggressive, submissive, weak person without uh, overcompensating 100% in the other way. Um, that's where the, you know, the that the, that fig leaf gets removed. And you got to come back to like, you know, you just, yeah, you can't, you can't cook, you can't make, med- you can't make drugs and kill people.
2: Yeah, and speaking <laughs> of psychology, like classic projection in that scene that you're talking about, Pete, when they're sitting on the mm. couch Um, Walt turns to her and after, you know, she says that he comes up with the story that, um, they're going belly up, right? Gray Matter is bankrupt or whatever. And that's why they can't continue, um, paying for his treatment. She's like, why couldn't she just tell me that herself? And he says, they're prideful people, right? (laughs) (laughs) And he says, not to sound selfish, but as far as we go, we're going to be okay, right? So, um, of course we know that, that Walt is really the, the prideful person. And one other thing that stood out to me in this scene that, um... And rewatching it that I don't think I made the connection before was, uh, she, uh, Skylar remarks, and yet she still drives a Bentley, right? Like this idea that they're broke. And then, of course, that's something that comes back later in the series with Ted. Remember after, you know, like, uh, she tries to give Ted the six hundred, whatever thousand dollars that he needs, um, to, to get out mm, of his yeah. trouble with the IRS. And then what does he do? He goes and immediately gets, was it a BMW or whatever it is he drives, <laughs> you know, and this whole idea of keeping up appearances. So I thought that was um, an a, a, a interesting callback that they do to this this moment um, and, and uh, feeds guys, into that lie, doesn't it?
3: I got the impression that at least you, Pete, think that Skylar is still fooled at the end of this episode, whereas like, I have a clear memory of thinking that this is one of the episodes where the scales are starting to flow. She's starting to put two and two together, like her saying, and yet she drives a Bentley and the expression or the, the way that Walt just like, cause he plays this scene so smoothly otherwise, and he kind of stumbles at this moment. I feel like this is where the things are starting to come to a head for Skyler, and she's starting to figure things out. Yeah. You I, know?
1: I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I, I've seen the episodes that come after, but like, I, I was thinking about that a lot whenever I was watching this scene. And my takeaway is that. One Anna Gunn is really good. She's a really good actor, and mm. the way that she she plays it here, and I think that yes, she still has it, this hasn't like wiped the slate clean or anything, and that's what we see is that that she still has a lot on her mind, but um, that I do think that that Gretchen taking away the money does bring them together because. This is it. Cha- it just changes the dynamic of of what's happening inside the household. Like they, they have paid for the treatment that's already done, but they don't know what's going to come next, and that that does bring them at least temporarily closer together. Um, I I don't like, but yeah, I think it. You're you're onto something there. That there's there's a lot more going on in that scene in both of their heads. Um, I don't know. What did you think, Courtney?
2: Oh, I think she knows it's completely bullshit. And especially in the two episodes leading up to this one, where she gives him the whole silent treatment. And uh, in uh, the last episode, Pete, we talked about this idea of the cold shoulder and everything. And there was a line that she um, she says to Walt when he ac- when he accuses her of smoking, right? And he produces this pack of cigarettes she tried to flush down the toilet. And she says, maybe I smoked it in a fugue state. So I don't think she would have said something quite that callous if she wasn't already pretty sure that the whole thing was bullshit. Like she doesn't believe the fugue state was a real thing. So I think she definitely knows that something's up. He's lying. Um, And there are but her her tone is much softer in this episode, like when. Um, after, you know, he, uh, I guess disappears after Gretchen leaves and she's like, should I even ask where you were this time? And it's, she says it in a much softer way than she has in the last couple episodes.
1: Yeah. So one um, other thing I'll, I'll just throw in there to, if you guys can expand upon from, from that place, like, what do we think it is from Walt's point of view? You know, where does Walt, how does this, you know, as far as Walt, like looking at all the problems he has and things that he had to solve, I think from his point of view, he thinks it solves his problems with, with Skylar where for the for the time being.
3: Yeah, I it, it, Walt does I feel like think that he has got her pretty well judoed that like, oh, I can I can use this uh, Gretchen pull out as a way to, you know, save some face and, and make it seem like, you know, uh that they, they were uh, broke and have, kind of flatters his ego. There's a little wish fulfillment there. But I think the reason that Skylar's softer is that this... Gretchen and Elliot paying for Walt's cancer is something that makes sense to Skylar mm-hmm. and she can process it. And it's like, oh. And, like, suddenly... um you know, that this is this is a piece of the puzzle that's like falling in as expected. Like, oh, this is what's going on and maybe some of the other crazy things that she's been spiraling about and like, why is my husband acting so, why is he being so secretive? You know, like this makes sense, like that Walt would be secretive and squirrely about this because he'd be embarrassed and uh, I feel like that there's a little bit of renaissance but it's more from like Skylar thinking like, oh, this I've added two and two in my internal spreadsheet and this comes out to be four. And it lasts for barely an episode. It's already crumbling at the end because she's already seeing that. Oh shit, this is adding up to five again. Um, that's my take on it, anyway.
2: Yeah. Well, I think obviously she knows he's lying about other things. So, but in in terms of like where the money is coming from, yes, I think this makes sense to her because where else would he be getting that amount of money? It hasn't occurred to her that he might be doing like illegal things. I guess at this <laughs> point. But um, this whole exchange with with a uh, with Gretchen obviously stays with her and she finds it weird and she, I mean, Walt gets off the hook in in a way when they're having this conversation, but it's not something that Skylar ever really puts to rest because it does come back up later. Right. So while he's still disappearing and going off and doing, you know, cooking with Jesse again, um, she thinks he's having an affair with Gretchen. And if you'll remember, this doesn't happen for some time, but she actually calls Gretchen and asks if they're having an affair and, um, cause she's trying to figure out where the money came from. And then that's when she calls his mother and she finds out the mother never gave him money. And that's where things mm. really come to a head and she tells him to get the fuck out, right? She knows something is really mm. wrong. He's doing something illegal to get this money. But, um, Skylar's not, not stupid. And I love Anna Gunn's acting in the, the both exchanges, like where she's with, with, uh, with Gretchen and then, um, later with, with Walt. If you watch her face, you can kind of see like she she's not buying it. Like she thinks something's off yeah. and she's suspicious. And certainly like the whole exchange with Walton and, and Gretchen when um he first comes in when he gets home from work, it's weird, right? And um of course, like the the way it's explained to her, they're bankrupt, they can't afford to give us the money anymore. That that's maybe satisfies her temporarily. I guess but Pete if I understand the question you're asking like what is Walt's point of view does this smooth things over with Skylar I don't know if he's thinking of that in in those terms I think he just feels like he dodged a bullet Right, because like he mm. really thought like he was going to be called out, and for once he's quiet. So in the last couple of episodes, his mistake has been talking too much. Right, he's offering too much explanation, and that's how she's able to smell his bullshit. She knows he's lying. Like when he tries to explain how his cell phone rang because that was a a reminder for his medication, and that's when she's like, "Uh, uh-uh, you're lying." So instead, he does the opposite. He, as I, I noted yeah, earlier, he does he's actually
1: with- make a, a shift here.
2: Yeah, he's definitely holding back. He's like, well, what did she say? You know, so he's trying to get a sense of um, how much she knows without, you know, revealing what he knows. So he gets her to tell the whole story. So he's he's learned from his mistakes. He's learned to maybe to be a better liar at this point.
3: Yeah, that's the unf- unfortunate fact of liars is if you keep giving him chances and chances, they'll eventually get good enough of fooling you that they pretty much will do it all the time.
1: What do you think Jesse learned from his trip over to Spooge's?
3: Gosh, it's interesting because, like, they really contrast, like, his home life, which, you know, we've seen is, like, you know, he his parents were demanding and there was, uh, you know, some some problems there. Maybe he, they had some, like, he has a middle class parent problems, but clearly he can see, like, this is, like, him getting a new appreciation for like, what rock bottom looks like, you know, uh... Like, him him scolding this mother about, like, what a terrible mother she is. And it, does, it doesn't it does even, in effect, I think that there's some part that he is aware of, you know, the fact that he said some things like this to his mom. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I, I yeah, I don't know. I'm not real super impressed with Jesse's parents either. It's like, they're in a bad situation, but, you know... Yeah. How, how did they turn a... How How did a, guy, a kid like Jesse turn out this way? You know, there was probably a couple... There's probably some issues at home there, too, right? But but not this severe. I, I don't know.
1: Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I doubt if they were that... If, if if it was anywhere close to what we see here, they really made a turnaround uh, since he,
3: yeah. he moved out. Yeah, but I mean, that's like, you know, like saying that... Uh, yeah, because I feel like a lot of terrible parents like to point to even worse parents as a way to be like... Well, I went over and beat you or never locked you in a closet for all weekend and you had three square meals a day. It's like, thank you. Thank you for keeping me thank you for doing the bare minimum not to get thrown in jail. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate uh the-, oh, the bare Yeah, and I feel like that maybe that's uh that's Jesse's parents is like they either did the bare minimum or they did way too much of different same things that just made him feel like uh you know, he wasn't he wasn't good enough. And that's but what- I don't know, maybe Maybe he's just a bad seed. I
1: was just gonna say that that's such an awful detail in this house too. Is the the padlock on the outside of uh, yeah. the kid's Oof. door?
2: Yeah, that's that's got it just really
1: makes you feel creepy when you see that.
2: Uh, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. It is an interesting contrast though between like families, right? So um, in two is when Jesse gets evict- evicted, right, that's the episode where his mom kicks him out of his his aunt's house, and they have this. This argument where he's like, you know, great family mom, you know, evicting your oldest son. Um and so this this idea that that Jesse has been wronged or or you know deprived of something but then like when you see his house and you see like his his childhood house and you see the way of, like they interact with his little brother you get a sense that these are you know, this is a very typical middle class family that are doing what they think they're supposed to be doing you get a sense that they they care about Jesse and they've tried to help Jesse and this is something that Pete and I have already talked a little bit about in Jesse's uh, family dynamic and You know, the the idea that they're maybe trying to show him some tough love or something like that. But then to see, like, what a really neglectful or or abusive or negligent family looks like. Um, But Jesse, I think, uh, you know, might be carrying around some of his own, as you say, Aaron, some of his own trauma with his his mother. And uh, when she says, I'll be any kind of mother you want me to be, when Mrs. Booch says that to Jesse, if he'll just give her um, a hit is so gut-wrenching. And also really... You know, uh, to sort of uh telegraph ahead to when he's with Andrea, and he doesn't know that she has a son, and they're about to get high because remember he's trying to sell her dope, and then she, right. the grandmother, comes in with Brock, and he goes off on her. He's like, "What the hell kind of mother are you?" You know. So this this idea of of, of neglectful mothers is something that that is deeply personal for Jesse. I think that's a wound he carries with him.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
2: You're listening to Growth Decay Transformation. We'll be right back. Let's get cooking. We're back with more Growth Decay Transformation.
1: Courtney, have you ever had a fluff sandwich? Mm,
2: I can't say that I have. I mean, I've had like s'mores, but I've never actually had a fluff. Like the uh, marshmallow spread? No, I've I've never had one of those. (laughs)
3: What about you, Aaron? I can honestly say I've never had the fluff sandwich or the closely related fluffer nutter, <laughs> which is peanut butter and marshmallow. I've never, I've, I've seen them, but I, that always seemed like a little too, little too sweet in my savory for me.
1: I feel for Jesse trying to put something together for this kid, um, you know, and and not probably having very many options. But the the fluff sandwich was uh, was an interesting detail to have here. I I too have never. I don't think I've ever had that in in any house that I've ever lived in. I I, I've heard it it seemed to come into popularity at some point. Like you said, with peanut butter, that was a um, thing that I know people ate. But I don't think
3: I ever had just pure fluffs. Yeah, what do you make? What do you make with? marshmallow in a jar is that an ingredient because I'm trying to think if I have I've ever seen that in a house that I'm in and like that and cheese whiz I don't think that's something I ever grew up with
1: <laughs> oh we definitely messed with cheese Whiz. and like I, I I've kid. seen
3: Cheese whiz but I don't think I've ever seen a jar of liquid marshmallow in a person's house. I imagine
2: it's something you can maybe use for, for baking. Like I don't know. Like I've I've whenever yeah. I've like made something like rice krispie treats, I just melt marshmallow. Like I make it myself. That's exactly. I don't know if like yeah. that's if that's something you could even use, but
3: I don't how many jars of marshmallow fluff would you need to make a decent thing of rice krispies? Like so many. <laughs>
2: and even and,
3: just, I, I see.
1: and even more specific for this episode, like what do what does Mr. and Mrs. Spooge need fluff for?
2: and maybe meth causes a sweet tooth or something I don't know, maybe you know less expensive um food junk food, right
1: yeah, I mean they, junk, they they're yeah. covering all their bases because they they seem to do heroin and meth um so i I think right. that the that, that the opioids it's are
3: important to stay it's important to even yourself out, you know
1: yeah. I think the opioids are supposed to be that that's supposed to make you have a sweet tooth or enjoy sweet foods or something like that. Hmm. uh. Hmm. I guess you know there's 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 a little bit more we could probably talk about here. I think we we kind of already brought up the idea that they um, that Jesse figures out that they're carrying around their drugs in their their butts basically, um, and that that it was a, a very very uncomfortable sound whenever they uh, present those for him. And then he yeah, just and speaking s-
3: of smells. That's another one where it's like I'm I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad God we don't have smell o vision. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, <laughs> when we're unpacking things.
1: Yeah, he's carrying. He he's holding that later, and it's just like God. I know where that was. Um,
3: Wash your hands, dude.
1: Yeah, the the captor becomes the captive. You know, he they they do eventually turn the tables on him, and and it's kind of fun to watch how they they react to that situation. But really, like it only comes down to the fact that. They're not really concerned with that much more other than getting high. Like the main thing that's bothering them about the situation is that they that he's not he's he's preventing them from getting high in the in the process of trying to get his money back.
2: Yep. Yeah.
3: You can definitely see this like almost train spotting type deal where it's like they're in this bad situation the first the first thing they always think about is like Oh man, could really use with the score. Oh yeah, that's the oh, oof, yeah. well, really, really set us up for the next. Yeah, it's like they're constantly
1: every chance they get, they bring it up. Like, yeah, you know what would make this better? was yeah. a little hit, you know.
3: Yeah, it's hard, hard thinking with you know between you, you smacking me around with the the pistol and not having meth. It's like you know, yeah, drug drug seeking.
1: And they do. I mean, they there are some 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 really uh, funny lines here. I mean, I, I kind of it, it's kind of rough like because it's it's their situation is hard to 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 watch you know like the especially when it comes to the kid but then you know he says uh maybe i need to go see a hospital or something <laughs> and then yeah. you wonder you wonder maybe he did hit him on the head so hard that he might need to go uh and, and in relation to that um to that scene he says pull it out of your butts right now or I'll go grab a flashlight and some pliers and go exploring, which brings some, some things to mind or, you know, makes you think of some things there, which are not pleasant at all. (laughs) Um, we kind of talked about the way that the, you know, the squishing of his head is, um, very similar to the squishing of the, the beetle. I I don't know, Courtney, is there more here that you want to get into? one is related to related to the the spooges and their and i guess their their introduction yeah. and their their send off
2: yeah so you you kind of just mentioned it, Pete, but when Jesse is uh, first talking to them and he hits uh Mr spooge in the back of the head with the i guess his gun when they first walk in and uh spooge is on the ground you know complaining like oh, I have a you know cranial hematoma, and Jesse's like, I'll give you a cranial as he's holding the the gun on him and then of course you know that's something that they come back to where he gets the real cranial treatment later so um Mm -hmm. (laughs) so gross but also just uh did you did you read what mr spooge's shirt says (laughs) did (laughs) either of you notice i never read it before but i actually got up close to the tv so i could read what his shirt says it said wine her dine her 69 her so yeah (laughs) yeah it's
1: it's funny because I, I, I had, I had, I had. Whenever Better Call Saul was on, I had wanted to figure that out, and I couldn't remember what it was. But that is absolutely what it was. That's why I was just silent there when you asked the question because I was like, "Oh, I do know what this is," but I didn't, I
3: didn't look at it the last time I watched it.
2: <laughs> so gross. And then, yeah,
3: he's a certified skankologist. You know, obviously.
2: Yeah, definitely. And um, I guess just one other thing that I didn't know, but in doing some uh, research for this episode, the clerk that we briefly see, so like um, when Spooge is talking about how like stealing the ATM was a victimless crime, and then we get the little flashback I to, was just thinking about, to, the, yeah. to the convenience store, um, where clearly he murdered the, the clerk when he stole the, the ATM. That's the same actor that played the gentleman who hauled the RV out of the ditch um that Walt and Jesse drove into in the pilot right so that mm-hmm. was in a uh, cats in the bag when the the guy pulls it out for them and remember Jesse hands him like the meth covered <laughs> money um mm-hmm. but that that poor guy oh, yeah. so we talked a little bit about how everyone that comes into into Walt's orbit is doomed right and even mm-hmm. someone as as innocent as a as a tow truck driver
3: yeah, he's like the gang from Always Sunny this is this bad bad news. <laughs> you don't want to be around him. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I did I did really like that idea of the victimless crime uh and the way he ke- he keeps saying that uh and then you know, you're you're kind of like working it out in your head, you're thinking, "Yeah, I guess so." Um have any of you have either of you uh, I guess I'll ask you first Aaron, have you ever heard of the Raminator?
3: The Raminator. I might have heard it cuz like I've heard, I I used to work for a C-store chain, a large C-store chain in the Midwest, and I think I've I've heard, you know, from uh circa 2000 to 2009, I heard about every way you could steal an ATM. Mm, yeah. Uh and 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 uh getting a big ass truck with a chain and just pulling the whole thing off of its, it. That was a very popular way to do it.
1: Yeah, did you have you ever heard of this this device called the Raminator, Courtney?
2: Uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't. I don't know. Tell us what is the raminator.
1: Yeah, well, that was the that's the thing that they came up with for what what Aaron's talking about there. It's a, it's like a shock absorber they put underneath it. It kind of works like a rubber band, but it's made of steel. As far as what I watched, a couple of uh, YouTube videos where the the sales reps were were talking about these things and kind of I I don't know they were probably embellishing a little bit about it, but I I think they were they were actually. Uh, that came out around the same time this episode came out because this was a thing that was was popular—stealing uh, whole ATMs and uh, taking them somewhere and breaking into them. Like I was reading, like they could have some of them would have like up to two hundred thousand dollars in cash inside them. I guess.
3: Yeah, depending on which where where they're at and their daily limits and the velocity on them, sure.
1: Yeah, so you know this is a it, it's it's kind of funny because you know this isn't like a. It's not exactly something you would call a crime of convenience or, you know, something like crime of passion or something like that. It's, it's, I don't know what you guys think, but it, to me, it, it really, it's in that category of crimes that people commit because they like to commit crimes. You know what I mean? Sort of like you, you sort of, you know, you sit there and you think it up. You're like, well, obviously this is, I mean you have to you have to bust into the thing and and hit it with your car first or or wrap a chain around it and and yank it out. I mean it's not an easy thing to do necessarily. But it can be it can be you know you can get some a decent payout from it and um yeah, I think you sort of have to just really enjoy like planning a caper and trying to to see it through to get into the ATM stealing business. <laughs>
3: I've look I've en- I enjoy planning capers. I've thought of many ways I could rob from the people who have employed me. Uh it's it's kind of fun. But like <laughs>
1: I, th- Crossing I, I think I think that the people yeah.
3: yeah, I think I think there's a certain desperation that's implied with the the with the going through with your caper. Yeah. But, uh,
1: well I mean I looked into it like you know a lot of like a lo- there was like a huge outbreak of it in Texas and I think it was maybe 2010 uh-huh. or so. And it turned out to be a coordinated group that was going around, and they were doing that. And when they infiltrated that, you know, they got one of the, they got one of the guys on something, and then he turned on the rest of them. It actually wiped out a lot of the of the um, the the ones that they were seeing because they were all pretty much connected. You know, it feels pretty random, but at the same time, you know, like you have to have like a you know a truck or a stolen truck and a backhoe or something else. You know, like to where you can. um pull it off you can't i i don't really know what the implication of
3: how probably a of technique too
1: yeah i'm not really sure what the what the implication of how spooge was supposedly pulled this off but um you know it ended in in murder so i guess that that kind of does it uh you know kind of smooths over any any details that might be going on there all right, so let's go in. And what, since you're our guest again, A. Ron, we'll let you go first. Which, what was your favorite line? What's the thing that jumped out for
3: you in this episode? I gotta go with the big gun. Fuck you.
2: Yeah. Mm.
3: Uh, leveled. It's a, that's a uh, that's a Ticonderoga class. Fuck you. That uh, <laughs> Walt uh, threw onto the table. There, it's as big and heavy, weighty. Uh,
1: yeah, like we said, he's yeah. been carrying that one around with him for a while, and and they, I mean, there's sort of that idea in TV that they 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 don't they they could say fuck you as much as they want, but they they have a, an agreement with um the advertisers, I suppose that's how that works, right?
3: Yeah, and it's also a basic cable thing where it's like we're gonna regulate our we're not regulated, we don't want to be, so we'll kind of regulate ourselves. Yeah, um, I noticed the AMC has started to allow their prestige dramas uh, uh like one fuck per season
1: yeah i, th- I think that yeah. that was sort when of later
3: seasons of walking dead started not bl- having some unbleeped uh f's yeah
1: yeah that's the idea i got this one was definitely bleeped in um the original yeah when it aired on tv from what i read and it's one of those ones mm-hmm. where there's no question of what he's saying, so you might as well just mm-hmm. you might as well do it because the way that Brian Cranston delivers this here, you know you know exactly what it is
3: and it, and it and yeah. I don't know
1: that anything else works quite as good in that situation, you
3: know it keeps the kids that happen to be in the room safe in the episode, you know they won't be scarred at all seeing their peer. <laughs> uh because that that's the really sad thing about that that kid's performance is like it's so natural and realistic like yeah. what really got me this uh, is like when they're doing the peekaboo at the last and his mom comes and like that genuinely shocks the kid like he's like yeah. oh my god like i this is my friend and my mom just like brained this dude yeah uh he's still like this kid is still capable of falling for somebody and also to have a new level of like oh fuck i didn't know this was part But, but, but yeah, I, it, it, it's so stupid because, like, yeah, in, in we, we don't care that someone crushes another human's head and blood's going to (laughs) pour all over the place and soak the money. But if someone, if, if someone had to hear the word fuck, yeah,
1: an expletive. The very
3: fabric of society would crumble, crumble to the ground. Yeah.
2: Right.
1: Well, my, my, my thing, uh, my favorite line also has an expletive, uh, one that's a little more, palatable i guess but yeah i i went with skinny pete saying i can't be all about spelling and shit you know he was talking about <laughs> he's talking about the he's out there slinging and making stacks of benjamins or whatever so he can't uh you know he can't be bothered with the spelling what about you the word street yeah yeah <laughs> what about you courtney what was your favorite line you
2: know I almost went with the, the fuck you. I'm glad I didn't because that, that was Aaron's choice. But, um, I had to, to go with, uh, you have, uh, you have a good rest of your life, kid, which is the last line spoken in the, in the episode as Jesse leaves the kid on the doorstep. And, um, I mean, he didn't have to say that. He, he did what he had to do. He got the kid out of the house. And that was already like, you know, like a, again, the moral, right? Good thing to do, but that he, he took that moment to, um, to, to spend with that child and to, to, I guess, breathe that wish into the, to the world. So we've been talking a little bit about like American culture and stuff like that. So you think, okay, so this kid is going to now become a, a ward of the state, right? So at least he's out of that household. But if you know anything about, um, yeah. you know, the foster care system in this country, it's not always the easiest life, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, a really tender moment with, with Jesse. And I think this this episode really is Jesse's episode and we really get to see his humanity shine through and, and, um, in in um in all of this like grotesqueness. So like you have this again, this this really interesting dichotomy of the profound and the grotesque, right? So we have this 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 kid expressing, and I mean Jesse, like this this compassion for this child and wanting to protect this this innocence in um in face of this utter depravity and violence and grotesqueness you know it really stood out
1: yeah and what i liked about that one is the the awkwardness of it you know like he it, it it's kind of a weird line right It's like have a good rest of your life you know it's, he's not even really that sure when he says it you know he's just trying to say something because he just doesn't even know what to do with the situation thought aaron paul really uh really delivered that one well and um this is an episode that i don't think he, he doesn't win until later but this is one of the ones where he was one of his uh episodes that was um he was nominated for supporting actor in a drama series when the emmys came around after the season
2: yeah so uh aaron what was your your favorite shot or your or your favorite scene in the episode What what stood out to you
3: uh, you know, Breaking Bad has a reputation for, like, kinetic gonzo camera work, and I think an early example is the Beetle Cam, where you got a, a camera mm-hmm. perspective from, uh, uh, Jesse's shoe, as he's messing with the Beetle, and it's, uh, you know, it gets, he, he makes this larger giant-like figure, uh, you got the the crisp blue Albuquerque sky, New Mexico sky behind him, uh, yeah, I I'd I'd I like that, it's a good ex- early example of, uh, the Tarantino-esque camera work on Breaking Bad.
2: Yeah, I think they they shot that through a plexiglass, right? So it does cause that that distortion. So it's the, the beetle eye view, right? So mm-hmm. I, I also love how they do object perspective and object point of view in, in this series. Sorry, Pete, you were going to say something?
1: Well, I was just going to say that this um, this episode was a little bit weird for picking shots because so many of them happen inside that interior where everything is kind of just... Gross, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, inside their house. And I I did those little flourishes did really stand out in this episode. Like there's one where he's come where Walt's coming out of the house chasing after um Gretchen where the clouds like they look so incredibly uh I guess New Mexican y or whatever, you know what I mean? (laughs) Just just Mm -hmm. really, really
3: uh They got big skies out there. Yeah,
1: you know, And, and so it was um those really the contrast of those but yeah I, it was a little bit hard because a lot of the shots in this one like where there's usually like it's usually hard for me because I have a few that I can't really pin down and in this episode it was a little more difficult because there were just um less that stood out like it's very functional a lot of the stuff that you see is just really effective and um And really works well but it doesn't it doesn't really stand out in the way that some of the previous episodes we've been talking about have um but i went with the shot of of skank going through um spooge's pockets when he's laying on the floor and she's you know there's the intensity of her like really wanting that bag you know what i mean like she just crushed her partner's Head and there's, you see the blood that's there and everything else. And there was this one detail in that that shot that that really jumped out at me. And what what put it over the line? It was like he's got these briefs on, and you kind of see his 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 underwear, you know, above his waistband or whatever. And there's a dirty fingerprint on that, you know, which is an obvious like choice that somebody made in the you know in the costuming department or whatever. And it's so. That's just so disgusting, and it and it ties the whole thing together, and that and really the whole, you know, encounter with these people and and this this quest for Jesse to go get their money back. What about you, Courtney? What did you what did you pick here?
2: So I actually had a, a bit of a hard time with this one because I thought there there wasn't really like a, a standout shot necessarily for me. I thought there were some really great reaction shots throughout, like Walt realizing that Gretchen hadn't you know, um, like, you know, told Skyler the truth. Uh, there, were, there were a couple of really, really good moments um, where, like, you see Walt's realization and, and things like that that I thought was just really well acted. But um, I went with a scene that happened inside of the Spooge's household. So I went with the one where Jesse is in front of the TV trying to find Mr. Rogers. You know, You know, it's a mm-hmm. lovely day in the neighborhood, just like the mill lady said, right? Yeah. It's going to be a beautiful day, anything but, right? And he looks back at the kid when he realizes there's only the one channel and it's this knife channel. And he uh, puts his hand over his mouth and looks over his shoulder. And the way the little kid mirrors him, I thought it was just like such a, a, a beautifully shot moment. It always stands out to me every time I see it. But I, I liked a lot of what they did in that space with Jesse before the Spooges got there. So, like, when he first walks in, it's dark. We can't really see what's going on. You can tell that it's in disarray. But then when he starts opening up the the blinds and this, like, green light filters in. So, like, the, he's letting the light in, but it's, like, this this weird, sickly green light mm-hmm. that they use to, to stream in through through the house. So... I don't know it's some some really striking moments in in the scenes with jesse and the kid but i I had to go with the one where they they look at each other and the kid mirrors him
1: yeah that that i don't know where they got that knife infomercial sure. did they mention anything about that on the insider podcast
2: yeah they did so um uh, Vince Gilligan spoke a little bit about how like that's like an actual show where it's just these two guys selling knives all the time. And it's something that like, you know, he would see on like late night TV and stuff like that. And they actually had to get permission to to use that. But it's something that um, that he was familiar with anyway. Yeah, if you listen and to, uh, to
1: what they're saying, like there's like there's like 50 knives in that display or something yeah. like that. And he's like, yeah. don't let it fool you that this is only ten dollars or whatever, you know, like.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you can't believe this buoy knife is this, you know, this cheap.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Aaron, uh, we kept you for a long time. Sorry about all of that. Uh what are you what have you been up to over there at Bald Move?
3: We just finished up Yellow Jackets, mm-hmm. uh but we're about to disembark on a whole bunch of stuff coming up in June. We've got uh I'm drawing a blank. We've got the uh, Strange Star Trek, Strange New Worlds. We're starting up. Uh we've got uh, in July, I know we got Justified coming back, City Primeval. Uh, we've got Foundation Season 2 in July coming back. Um, we've got The Bear, uh, which we really adored for Season 1. It's dropping its entirety on Hulu sometime in the end of June. That's coming up. Uh, uh, we're excited about Badass Fest. Every year we do a look like, 80s, 90s action movie uh, kind of virtual film festival uh, to kick off July, the the start of the summer, unofficial start of summer. And this we, this year we're doing a live event uh, mm. here in our hometown of Cincinnati. We're hosting a live uh, movie event. What We're going to watch Total Recall and uh, then we're going to do a live podcast uh, and uh, hopefully going to meet a whole bunch of cool people from the Bald Move community. But uh, yeah, if you want to find out any of the stuff we're doing, just go to baldmove.com. Uh we've got all of our podcasts there of our social medias. Um but but, but yeah, if you want if you want to attend the live events is your way of hearing it, uh, baldmove.com slash live to to get the, your tickets a to total recall and a total recall podcast.
1: Yeah. You know, thanks for coming out here and um you know, we know we had we had originally wanted to have you guys both back to back in season one and that, that didn't work out because of schedule. So our schedule was kind of screwed up and we finally got you in here. And I guess, you know, that, like I said at the beginning, it's Gretchen. Whenever she comes into the story, you can you can expect to see one of you guys show up. But it's always good to have you. Um,
3: yeah, it was fun. I, it's funny because when you said it's peekaboo this week, that's one of the few. You know, there's probably a, the several titles that I'd recognize instantly, but peekaboo, it's like... As soon as I saw the word, I knew exactly the episode, uh, the plot with the little kid, all that stuff just came right back. It's a it's a it's a memorable episode. So pre- appreciate you having me on uh, to discuss it.
1: Yeah, and we'll 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 talk off air, uh, you know, about maybe coming back later on in the series. Um, I know, yeah, I would love to. I know you got some of the. I remember from listening to your your podcast the uh, you're one of the people who was actually watching live whenever the um these um black and white teasers but the teddy
3: bear yeah yeah
1: <laughs> yeah because it, it never really made a big deal to me because when i was watching i was like literally enthralled binging you know i was like watching one and yeah, then the next, yeah. or, so i never had that time in between to to really guess what was going on with those scenes and um you're one of the people that i've heard you know that was was pretty pretty underwhelmed by the way that that played out at the end there
3: yeah, the 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 big reveal of what they were building up in season two kind of landed like a wet a wet fart with me. I still, it's like I it, it uh, even this is a great season of television. The whole seven three seven down over ABQ part of the storyline still is like something that sticks in my craw. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably super controversial opinion. My co-host Jim doesn't agree with me on it, but but yeah, I always thought that was a lot. That was a lot
1: yeah it's funny because it's the way we react with tv you know and the way that um that that's all changing at this time you know post lost and and different shows like that where people really got into discussing them online you know that sort of happens in real time here with this with this mystery and i i think that's the general consensus was that it it People were kind of disappointed with what it turned out to actually be because they had been guessing throughout the entire season of what it might be, yeah. and it didn't turn yeah. out that way. So, yep, yep. Our listeners will be able to hear us get to that real soon. Aaron, once again, thanks for coming on. Um, we'll have you guys back uh, individually, if not, you know, both of you together at some point as we keep going. We'd
3: love to come back.
1: All right. Well, yeah. So thanks for, thanks for being here. Courtney, do you want to tell people how they might be able to find us and what we got going on?
2: Yeah, sure. So, uh, again, I just want to echo Pete's sentiments, Aaron, thanks so much for, for coming on. It was fun. Um, those of, uh, you who want to contact us or follow us, you can find us on Twitter, at Breaking Bad GDT, or you can write to us at BreakingBadGDT at gmail.com. For those of you who wish to, uh, support our Patreon, you may do so by joining, uh, going to patreon.com slash transformation. So, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, join us next week when we'll be talking about Negro y Azul.